Sort of somewhere between my second year of doing toilets in big glass <laughs> skyscrapers, I thought this isn't for me. At, at night, I was doing things that I loved. So I was painting a lot. Um, I was making a lot of custom motorbikes, which I absolutely yes. loved. You know, so I'd sort of do the day job like everyone does. And then I was sort of getting more and more into my, my sort of real passions in life, which I would do after work, which was, you know, art and fashion and making motorbikes and, and sort of starting to get those little seeds in my head. Welcome back to the Well Now at Podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. Today's guest is Massimo Buster Manali. He's the founder of Buster and Punch. And if you're into home design or, you know, sending home pieces, I definitely recommend checking them out. Um, they create really unique pieces and also motorcycles, just really great experiences that are um, really beautiful in the home. And I first found out about him, you know, his company specifically through Justin. So Justin's my boss. He's a YouTuber influencer. And we have a few pieces in our feature media agency as well as he has some in his personal residence. He's always been obsessed with the brand and now I completely understand. Um, like in our office as well, we have like a bar cart, we have some of the lights. It really ties in the home together and it's something that I've never seen before in homes and offices and it's really special. I really loved our conversation because Simo was on a specific path. Like he's an architect, he was gonna stay, you know, in the corporate world and I relate to that as I was as well. And he kind of just made that pivot and started to just work on things that he loves and that he's passionate about, which is creating and like motorcycles. So our conversation was really insightful and I really appreciated his honesty. So let's just get straight into it. I am joined by the wonderful and talented Massimo Buster Manali. He is the founder and creative director of Buster and Punch. He's a London architect, industrial designer, and Buster and Punch started around in 2013. And if you haven't heard of Buster and Punch, they've made quite an impact in the home industry with their industrial style products. Um, and they mostly work with solid metals and some of their products range from custom motorcycles, light switches, door handles. And I'm a huge fan of his work and I'm so excited to learn more from you. I feel like it's industry that I'm not super knowledgeable in. So I think my audience is gonna learn a lot from what you have to say. So thanks so much for coming on. Oh, it's a joy to be here. Of course. So usually with my guests, you know, we'll we'll dive into Buster and Punch, everything that you're doing now. But I'm curious to know what you were like, you know, even before college days and growing up and your childhood. Did you always envision yourself kind of as like a builder, a creator or like walk me through Massimo's childhood? Um, so I um my, my family has always been in graphic design. My dad had quite an infamous graphic design company in the 60s and 70s called Manali Tassfield. Um, and they were essentially um, sort of the driving force behind branding a lot of the big luxury fashion brands that you see today. So they did the Gucci symbol, they did the Dior symbol, they did the Prada symbol. Design's always basically been in our family and in, in my blood. Um, I have always been uh, a creative person. I think... Um, didn't have any struggles when I grew up, had a lovely family life, had, you know, great supporting parents, um, couldn't have asked for a better childhood, basically. I initially, when I was younger, I was just sort of sports mad. So football was my one big passion. I was sure I was going to be a footballer and I joined um, the football youth system. And, and that was my big dream was to be a footballer. <laughs> um, and I got, I got injured at a very young age. So 
sadly that dream died or fizzled out pretty early and I had to sort of think later on in life I guess what I wanted to do when when I was big and growing up um, but you know great childhoods uh, surrounded by creative people um, never had any pressures to sort of be a doctor or conform or be a suit um, love sport you know and and no complaints and and I think um yeah that was that was how I set up so I, I was sort of mm. dreaming of being a footballer um got injured when I was about 15 16 and then suddenly with two years left to run until university had to knuckle down and actually do some some proper work so that that, okay. that was sort of young me I guess mm -hmm. but I, I you know at school I sort of was always really good at drawing and um, creative things. I was pretty awful at languages and language things. Uh, I had, had, had a sort of very mathematical brain and could work out problems. And, and so I sort of decided to become an architect, I guess, in that stage between 16, 18 and got, got my act together and um, realised that it was something that was both creative, uh, drawing in and also you know, mathematical. So I could sort of do that bit and, you know, something that my parents liked and, you know, it mm -hmm. seemed like a quite honorable thing to do. So I guess I wasn't, you know, someone that was like, I have to be an architect. This is all I want to do. This is my calling. Yeah. If anything, I was someone that I checked all the boxes. What am I good at? Well, I'm good at drawing. I can do a sum. Uh, my parents are graphic designers. They like architects. Mm -hmm. um, I can go down the pub and meet guys and girls and say I'm an architect. Though that's pretty cool. <laughs> so that was a box ticked. Do you know what I mean? It was sort of a yeah. collection of of all these little boxes. And I thought, oh, yeah, the answer is architect. Although it wasn't, you know, my passion, if you like. Um, yes. So yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So with architecture, what? when did you realize that maybe wasn't your passion? Cause you went, you graduated from, you know, this great school you did, you know, like a master's or program. And then afterwards working at a more like corporate role, when did you realize, I don't know if this is really for me? Yeah. So I, I basically, you know, somehow got through my exams at school, somehow got into Cambridge university um, to study architecture, which I, I really enjoyed. I kind of excelled at it. Um, it's a really long course, seven years, and then you have to go wow. and do more of it. So I then studied in, in London um, and I kind of really liked it, I guess. Um, it was only when I sort of got into corporate architecture did I realise that I was kind of wired a bit differently. Architecture, although a very sort of noble profession, I found out really early on that um, it was also very slow profession uh, and I have a very quick thinking brain um, I kind of you know have traits of ADHD so I can't really grasp one two three year projects I can't really grasp having lots of filters and clients and mm -hmm. my creativity is very short and passionate and happens in short periods of time so I, I think you know sort of somewhere between my second year of doing toilets in big glass <laughs> skyscrapers, I thought this isn't for me. Um, and I, I was sort of at, at night, I was doing things that I loved. So I was painting a lot. Um, I was making a lot of custom motorbikes, which I absolutely yes. loved, you know, so I'd sort of do the day job like everyone does. And then I was sort of getting more and more into my, my sort of real passions in life, which I would do after work, which was, you know, art and fashion and making motorbikes and, and sort of starting to get 
those little seeds in my head like this isn't quite for me actually this sort of like sooty creative world just because you know I, I personally really really wanted to um, fulfill that very creative side of me which you know I love the idea of putting all of your creative juices into designing something making that something having no one telling you that that's not the right thing mm-hmm. and then putting it out there in the world and if people like it they buy it you know I sort of had enough of of coming from university you have tutors and teachers and they're telling you that's not right or that's right or that's wrong and then when you go to the real world you have clients who say it's too expensive and you know I sort of was trying to work out a way that I could make enough money to live off and have no filters or people telling me that I couldn't do certain things I think that's the crux of of how I got into what I'm doing today I think yeah, no, I, I can relate to that because I, I went to business school and they were everyone there was or my professors were like, you should go into they were focused for some reason on accounting. You should do that. You should work in a corporate role. So I worked in a corporate job for a few years and it was only earlier this year where I completely shifted and I'm working for a YouTuber, which is crazy. And my boss is like my age and it's such a fun industry. So I can definitely relate to that, that transition from the corporate world where it's really slow paced to, you know, mm-hmm. something a little bit more startup-y or where it's a lot quicker and people get a lot more responsibility. So I love that. Um, but yeah, speaking about the custom motorbikes. Okay. So walk me through that. How did you kind of figure out how to build it? Is it just from scratch and how did you start selling? Cause I know that you've sold to so many amazing people like the Rolling Stones, George Clooney, just a huge lift list of people. So how did you kind of get into that? Um, I, I actually threw my eldest brother, my eldest mm-hmm. brother was a bike fanatic. Um, yeah. He used to drag race motorbikes around Rome when he was younger Um, My dad had motorbikes and again, it was sort of a family thing. So I've always ridden motorbikes um, all my life, Um, just started sort of tinkering with with them and making them. And and, and I guess my real passion wasn't so much the motorbikes, but but the bits that go on it, because I was making custom bikes. So you take, you know, a standard Suzuki or whatever it is, and then you take everything off it, change it, build your own parts and put it all together. Um, so I sort of got a bit of a following for cut and shut motorbikes where you have the front end is like a Harley and then the back end is like a, a you know, Japanese race bike. Um, and I just sort of like I was, yeah, j- just sort of this constantly making stuff, to be honest. And, you know, at a time when motorbikes weren't really a thing, they weren't, you know, very mainstream. They were still sort of considered quite a dangerous subculture. And, you know, we had some had some interesting people buy them. And those interesting people would also ask me to make things for their home because they knew I was an architect. And I think that's kind of how I fell into interior products um, was this sort of like love child, I guess, between my first career life, which was being an architect and then my second kind of passion life, which I couldn't quite understand how to make money from. And then, you know, the two worlds merged and, I, and, and Buster and Punch was born. And, and suddenly I had something that I could cling on to that would make money, make me happy, you know, make sure that I felt creatively fulfilled. It meant that I could constantly make things and design things and put things out there that people would like or not like or buy or not buy. And I kind of, I guess it, you know, it, it started to fit me really well. And I think, you know, for a lot of young people that they do initially follow, I guess, you know, the sort of 
breadcrumbs that their parents leave or you know conversations they have with teachers and you know this might be a good thing to do and you know being a lawyer is great and and whatever all these things are but I think you know the moment you really find your calling you know it really is quite obvious and and that's always been a good thing Um, I think what's harder is whether or not you can make a living from that thing that that you're really passionate about so luckily enough I could see a, a sort of you know, I couldn't, I could see, I guess, not just a way to make some money, but also a way to have an amazing career and actually make a very big thing, you know, and that was always really important to me because my issue throughout my life, I guess, from from school to now is that I, I really need to constantly be moving at a fast pace and constantly have another challenge and another challenge and another challenge. So for me, it wasn't a lifestyle decision like I love making bikes I'm going to make bikes all my life for me it's more I love being creative and how can this then lead to the next challenge to lead to the next challenge to lead to the next challenge and I think you know like you just said you know you 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 were in finance and now you're working for a YouTuber and I think that that's the amazing thing about the landscape today you know with the explosion of information and social media and digital is that there's like all of these reams of really creative, interesting new career paths that young people really understand and can attach themselves to that, um, you know, can make just as good living as the, the, the traditional, more formal ways of, of having jobs and things like that. You know, I, I find it, I guess, slightly crazy to think that in 20, 30 years time, people are still going to be doing geography and maths and English mm-hmm. in the same way that they do today. I just can't see it happening. I think it's going to be a much more fluid way of learning that does merge tech and digital with real life sort of old fashioned subject skills and stuff like that. So I, th- I think it's a really exciting time for young people. I think there's kind of, I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but you have that great side of all this information and, and data explosion, let's call it. And then I think also you have sort of the flip side to it, which is everyone does have all data at the touch of a button or a piece of software, et cetera, et cetera. So how, how can young people, I guess, stand up from a crowd, especially creatively, you know, if everyone knows that, what people love on Instagram is a green kitchen. You know, it's hard for a young design studio to design student to design a pink kitchen that hangs off your ceiling, you know? And I think that's where the the next big question is for our young generation Zs is to sort of really grasp this idea of debate, this idea of, you know, I'm not just going to do something that is going to offend the least amount of people as possible on social media, which mm-hmm. a lot of people do mm-hmm. because everyone else is doing that. In fact, I'm going to do something that, you know, creates debate. Some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. You know, I'm going to design something that some people love and some people hate. And I think it's really, really important to to kind of keep that flame going with young people. So we, we are in this interesting time where you have the goods and bads of, of social media and data. And it's mm-hmm. how uh, try and inspire our young people to make sure that they, you know, put their heart on their sleeve and, and stand mm-hmm. up for what they believe in, whether it's political, whether it's social, whether it's whatever it is, you know, I think, um, I think that's the big sort of step 
that we're going to start seeing yeah. in, in these days. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And I think it's, it's interesting because the generation, my generation is really exciting. Like prior to my parents, it was kind of like everyone was in one career path. You're like a doctor, lawyer, whatever, and that's it. But now for me, there's so many more options and it can be overwhelming even. It's exciting, but it's overwhelming. And with social media, as you're saying, there's so many things that you can do. But I think even myself, I like to be vocal, especially on my podcast and like my beliefs, my morals. But, you know, everyone sometimes you can be scared of being, you know, the term canceled. Being canceled is a huge thing, um, which can sometimes hinder creative growth, as you said. So that's going to be an interesting I'm, yeah, I'm really interested to see the, like the younger generation of Gen Z's, how they're going to navigate, especially with social media and their careers, because we are a generation, we are very local, we are wanting to say our opinions, but then, you know, there are that part of the generation that's really, that's really easy to cancel each other, which can be really mm-hmm. negative. So it, it's, it's a tough balance, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, we navigate that in the future. And yeah, I'm wondering, so you're jumping into the entrepreneurial world. What was your initial uh, growing pains of starting a business because it's one thing to be creative and making all these amazing products, but also like I imagine you're leading a team and growing a team and being in that leadership role. So for you, what were some of your initial growing pains? Uh, I, I think yeah, for, for me, what I found hard was you know I I am a very creative person and mm-hmm. you know if, if ever there's part of my skill set that's massively lacking, it is business <laughs> aptitude. <laughs> so. You know, whereas I would make product after product and they were great. You know, I, I had no one next to me going, well, actually, you know, you need a sales team or you need the right infrastructure to be able to sell this stuff and you're not going to make any money. They are great. You, you know, so I think I think my, my biggest sort of aha moment in growing a business was realizing that I need to trust people that are better than me in certain well realms and departments um, and to kind of you know, afford them the luxury to, to basically go forth and, and, and prosper, you know, and, and being a creative person, you are a kind of slight narcissist, like you want to control everything. And um, so, so I think, I think, yeah, I think my, my, uh, that was my biggest growth mm-hmm. hurdle, I guess, was this idea of, of actually designing something creative or coming up with a good idea is probably 1% of the whole landscape of being able to grow a business, you know, that lovely product then had to sit in a lovely box, which then had to have lovely content around it, which then had to have a website to sit on, which then the products need to sit in a, you know, and it's, it's all those sorts of things. So I think, I think, and, and I'm someone that's not amazing at man management. Um, so, it, you know, it's been really important and a, and a great sort of learning curve for me personally to, to see these other skill sets that I've never been a part of I guess before you know and bring on a great CEO and bring on great CEOs and different minds that work in different spheres and I think yeah that's been that's been a really good experience for me but Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and yeah on the creative side how much uh, when you're creating new pieces products how much is it based on now customer demand or versus items that you actually want to make yourself I think I think as I said before you know Mm -hmm. we especially in products we live in a world where um, I, I have, you know, someone on my team that can go, Massimo, everyone wants a pink AirPod case. Yeah. And, you know, anyone normal would go, right, great. Let's make a pink AirPod case so everyone can buy it. Hey, it's me popping in and say, if you like this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave a review if you have a time. It really helps people find my podcast. And lastly, follow me on Instagram 
at Well Now at Podcast and let me know what you thought about the episode. Let's get back to the interview. But I've always been someone that's very strongly believed in my gut from the start even to today. Um, I strongly believe that everyone is using the same data. So the only way to get ahead is to trust your gut, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love to immerse myself in fashion and subcultures and music and, and street art and all these sorts of wonderful things. So I, I kind of feel really confident with my inherent my inherent understanding of what people want, but they don't know it yet. Yes, um, yes. And that's that's always been my leader, I guess, in designing products, you know, is this idea that I, I don't want to stray so far from what people think they want, but I really, really want to challenge their thoughts of, of what they want, you know, and, and us as a company, we kind of essentially made a whole lane that's that's new to the world, which was this idea of taking, you know, boring home products like light switches and door handles mm-hmm. um, and kitchen pools and and making them exciting, making them feel like, you know, luxury fashion handbags and, and creating this whole new industry, I guess, you know, for young people or people with homes to get excited about a light switch was unheard of 10 years ago and now they do. Um, so I think I think it's been really important for me to sort of really stay true to the reason I started mm-hmm. a leaving the career that I, I kind of was set up to do and everything was great and everyone loved the idea of architecture and be sort of going on this other journey. You know, it's really, really important to to understand, I guess, what gets you up in the morning what is your real firm belief when you take away all the layers if you're a designer or an accountant you know what what is your what, what is the, the the thing that that really makes you tick i guess uh, and you find so important you know mm-hmm. so for me it, it was this idea that you know i'm going to trust my gut and to sort of stay stay true to that throughout your whole career and stuff like that so yeah. Yes. Yes. And um, I know that you do also do some some cool custom pieces as well. Um, I really like the piece that you did for Jason Oppenheim like a while ago. Is that something that you're hoping to expand or do you just strictly making those like those past pieces and then customs on the side or like where do you see the future of that? Um, we, we we do a lot of collaborations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love doing collaborations because, you know, the, the company started essentially from a garage in East London and, and we started yes. making products with all of our friends that were tattoo artists and musicians and, you know, and I like to sort of keep that spirit alive. Um, so we have some really exciting stuff coming up. We have a big collaboration with Travis Barker, who is, mm-hmm. uh, well, you guys know who Travis Barker is. <laughs> ex-drama of Blink-182, um, yes. huge rock star. We've got that. We have collaborations with people like Formula One. We're just about to launch a collaboration with an electric motorbike company. So we kind of like, I guess, do a blend of products. One is this idea of taking very ordinary things and making them really cool. And part of that journey is by doing these interesting collaborations with cool rock stars and and fashion brands and cool motorbike companies, it does inject that lifestyle piece into essentially what are very boring things and I think that's that's what fashion's been doing for years and years and years it's what music's been doing for years and years so yeah we we, we do love a collaboration um and we will continue to love a collaboration I think also you know for us for me personally I always wanted Buster and Punch to be a kind of blur between home and fashion you know I wanted people to want home products in the same way that they 
must-have fashion products. And so it's really important that through collaborations, we do blur these lines between, you know, fashion and music and film, because essentially interiors, at least when I started, was actually quite a dull industry. You know, yes. it was very neutral. No one wanted to offend. Everyone just wanted to sell, you know, IKEA style products that everyone would love. Um, and, you know, going back to this idea of challenging people, it's, it's always been my dream, I guess, when I started Buster and Punch was to to try and make like a Marmite company. You know, you either love us or hate us. You probably don't have Marmite over there. Maybe you have veggie. <laughs> no, anyway, no, we don't. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, it's yeah. a weird thing that people put on toast and they either yes. love it or hate it. And I always wanted my brand to be that. I always wanted people to have sort of like a cult-like following for it or just it's not their tastes because it goes back to this idea of creating debate and actually making people feel something for something they didn't think they would feel something for. Collaborations are important to us. Very cool. Yeah. So where do you get your creative inspiration? Um, like if you're in a rut or something and you want to create something new, where how do you kind of get into that zone? Um, I, I think being creative, I guess, or, or like designing something from scratch, Nowadays, it's a lot harder than it was 10 years ago. Um, the reason being is, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have Instagram or Pinterest or all these things where you sort of constantly see product and product and product and product. Yes. Um, so I always try and clear the mind, start from a blank slate. Um, all of my inspiration pretty much comes either from London or fashion designers that I love or musicians or like a film or like a bit of TV that I've seen. I, I rarely get inspired by my own industry um, and it's not a slight on all of our competition, <laughs> but I think it just challenges what you're doing and, and goes back to that idea of collaboration, it just makes it for a more exciting product if you're being inspired by something that's not connected to it. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I, I guess my, my real go to has always been, you know, the city I'm from London because it's been such a, a you know, cultural melting pot and, and there's everything there. I can walk for half an hour from, uh, I don't know, East London into town and I can see skateboarders and a fashion show, you know, and that's really where where I get my inspiration. You know, so a lot of our products at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm very much inspired by you know, luxury handbag hardware and fashion hardware and, and people like Virgil Abloy and people like Matthew M. Williams and, and stuff like that, you know, so that's that's my current obsession. <laughs> yes, I love yeah. that. Um, I was hoping to end the episode with a few rapid fire questions, if you were yeah. cool with that. Okay, um, first one, what is your ride of choice? That can literally be a car, a motorbike, anything. Oh, it's a, I've got a Ducati Hypermotard, which is my everyday ride and I do love it yeah nice. it's a motorbike <laughs> nice nice um what is one of your favorite collaborations that you've done with Buster and Punch is um we did some we did some some shoes some leather shoes with an English designer called Justin Deacon we were the first brand to to interior brand to be in London fashion week you know and it it just went back to that idea of blurring home and fashion so yeah I think that will very cool. Um, if your life was a movie, what genre would it be and who would play you? Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Uh, Rom-com, Jonah Hill, probably. Nice. <laughs> I never good take choice. anything seriously. So, yeah, <laughs> that one. I love that. Um, what's an item of yours that you can't live without? Oh, it's an item one that I can't live without. I can't live without my Elix Studio 
little phone bag thing. Oh, well, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got it and thought I can't be wearing a phone bag, and now a year. Wait, later, does it does it go across it. like across your like a crossbody? Yeah, it's got a little okay. strap. It's got it all. Yeah, little pouches and stuff. So yeah, that one. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, what is a pet peeve of yours, or like a trend that you really don't like, especially in like the home industry or like home design? Good question. I think probably this is going to sound bad because we kind of started in this route but anything that's like industrial <laughs> bow industrial design so like pipes that make lights and, and okay. stuff like that yes reusing parts like you know of your home for a, a lamp <laughs> yes yeah. yes I got that um so I saw photos of your home in Stockholm obviously it's beautiful but is there anything that you wish that you would have done differently in the terms of like the designer layout or is everything kind of perfect for you? Oh, well, I designed it when I didn't have two kids. So <laughs> any sort of doors would be nice. It is just, <laughs> it is the loudest place in the world and you just can't hide away anywhere or you can't hide any junk away either. So yeah, doors. <laughs> okay, good one, good one. Um, what is your ideal morning? Good question. My ideal morning is probably we, we live on a wake uh, on a, on a lake in Sweden, so having a nice morning swim and a coffee made for me is my idea of a, of a nice morning. Yeah, love it. Simple. Okay, um, a few more questions. What is your favorite travel spot? Favorite travel spot. Mm-hmm. Oh, good question. Uh, I'm gonna have to say probably Los Angeles. We, really? We, 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 yeah, <laughs> we do disappear to Los Angeles for about a month a year, which is when it's really, really cold and dark in Sweden. Um, yes. And we've got an office over there, so it's cool. But we normally do a little surfing trip from Malibu down to Encinitas, which is which is nice. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I lived in Stockholm because I was on exchange about two years ago. So I lived there in the fall time. And when it got dark at like 3 p.m., I was like, what is going on? There is no yeah. light left. You, you, you need a month away otherwise you yeah it's, it can yeah. be trouble basically. i can understand that um okay two more questions um when do you think you were the most you know happiest or fulfilled in your life oh that's a big sorry. one isn't it i know i'm oh, sorry I <laughs> um i loved being at university i've got to say absolutely okay. loved it yeah just had a really great group of friends and and just it was the first time that I'd been away from home, I guess, for a, for a long period of time. And uh, yeah, I just loved it. Um, last question. Who are the three most influential people in your life? Oh, um, three most influential people. That's a very good question. I will say uh, my wife, Jessica. She's got all the good bits that I haven't got. Um, I will say, I will say my mum. She's had a tough life and uh, she's got a very strong spirit. Um, and then I would also say Cherry Henri, my favorite footballer. Oh, there yeah, great. <laughs> great answer. Well, there thank you, you so much. No, thank I'm, you so I'm going to change the last one. I'm okay, gonna sure. Two, I'm going to say my two sons. There you go. Two okay. and seven. <laughs> there you go. We, we group yeah, them together. It's perfect. Insane. There you go. Sorry, I didn't mean Cherry Henri. Well, that's no. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was lovely learning more about you. Um, I love your products. My my boss, the YouTuber that I have, he's obsessed with it. So he has it all over in his, the office, in his home. So I've seen them and it's, yeah, they're absolutely beautiful. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. You are more than welcome. It's been lovely to talk to you.
And that was Massimo. Of course, I'll leave all his links and Buster and Punch links if you feel like checking them out. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.